Welcome to the Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man podcast, dedicated to all the men who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages, with host Arturo Henriquez and sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. Before I get started, I've said this in my previous uh, episodes. Um, If you want to schedule a one-time call with me to talk about your situation, to see where you are, Go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and book a call with me. Uh, it's going to be a 30-45 minute complimentary call, and we could talk about your specific situation uh, as it you know, pertains to you, your wife, and of course your marriage. Anyways, back to the episode. So today I want to talk about compatibility and the myth that is the compatibility. And, you know, before we do that, I want to talk to you about, you know, your computer system. Because if you're like me, you probably spend a long, you know, long periods of your day in front of a computer. My question for you today is whether your computer happens to be a Windows version or a Mac or a Linux or even a Chromebook. In other words, what's the operating system that you rely on? And it it might be some other deviation because I know more and more people are using their tablets you know, whether they're iPads or Samsung Galaxy or whatnot, or even their phones, right, as their computer. You know, and I, and I remember back when I was in college, we were using the operating system called MS-DOS, right? There was really no other option back then. Uh, and that's when IBM was kind of like the big elephant in the room. And the world revolutionized when there was Windows, and before that, kind of started with Apple, but Apple, the, the true, um, you know, shining moment of Apple came years later. But Windows became a revolution when it, you know, as it pertained to an operating system, uh, because there were no other variations of the MS-DOS system from IBM, right? And so many people were worried about compatibility across platforms, uh, because now suddenly. For the first time, there were actually two platforms. There was MS-DOS, which was, the again, the elephant in the room from IBM, and this new thing called Windows uh, from Microsoft, right? And in fact, there was a, a another one called Tandy, which was kind of like a, based on radio chatter. And, um, and I remember learning a little bit about programming on that when I was in college. But anyways, uh, you know, MS-DOS and then came Windows. Um, and... I remember myself, uh, let alone think about all the industries, all the businesses that were running uh, IBMs, and now they had this ability to run Windows, and they had all this um, question marks across the compatibility of the different platforms. Should I, if I switch from MS-DOS to Windows, um, will all my other things that I used from MS-DOS be compatible, right? And I remember making that transition myself with a with a personal computer, um, and then I remember doing that when I transitioned over to a Mac for a brief period, you know, years later, only to come back to to Windows. Um, and because I found a little issue, I could take my files from my Windows computer and put them on my Mac computer, but I couldn't take my Mac files and put them put them on my Windows computer. In fact. The drive that I used to transfer over wouldn't wouldn't go. It wouldn't fit. There was there was no compatibility. In fact, they were you could say incompatible. 
which really is what I'm talking about today. That whole spiel analogy was all about compatibility, right? The incompatibility between computer platforms, operating systems, which is what a Windows, an MS-DOS, a Macintosh, the, the AWS system, that's all operating systems, right? Well, the incompatibility between people, or to be more specific, there's a myth of incompatibility or compatibility between people. And I think a lot of our conversations now about compatibility are based in the fact that we live in this world of information, the computer age, or the, even the internet age, right? The social media age. So maybe it's not because we talk about Windows or Mac. It's got really nothing to do with that. It's the platforms and even the, the programs and the apps, right? Maybe it's, for instance, an online dating service or, or an app for that. Maybe that's where we've gotten into, right? So somewhere along the way, we've come to believe that people are compatible or incompatible. Right again, because of all the different information and apps and things that we can go on. Um, but somewhere along the way, we've come to believe that people are either compatible or incompatible. And I've noticed this on two fronts: those who talk about compatibility in the dating arena, and then those who talk about incompatibility in the marriage arena. Right? It kind of switches when people are dating; they're looking for somebody with whom they are compatible with. And then somewhere along the way during marriage, somebody says, I don't think we're compatible anymore. I think we're incompatible. And I just want to know that there's not a lot of research on this subject just in general. In fact, I can't find much research at all that would be useful research that proves that there is anything really to compatibility, at least in the way we understand it scientifically with one exception. And I'll talk about that one exception in just a minute because that exception is actually fairly rare. A lot of times I'll say, well, there's one exception and people immediately say, oh wait, we fall into that exception. And they really rarely do. And so when we're at the beginning of a relationship these days, a lot of people ask the question, are we compatible, right? With, with the, the person they're being matched with, whether it's a dating app or an uh, online uh, uh, program or whether it's a uh, friend you know matching uh, you with somebody else the main question is are we compatible and I recognize that when you do those online profiles you go through a lot of likes and interests and thoughts and beliefs and you get matched up based on something having similar likes and interests and thoughts and beliefs Right? That's how the algorithms behind these applications, these apps, and these online programs really work. But in the real world, many times our friends have very different opinions than us. Many times they like different things than us. Many times they have different interests, beliefs, everything around us. And yet we can still be friends. Right? I have a lot of friends that, I'm a, as most of you know, I'm, a, I'm an athlete and I'm an avid soccer player football player and I've got a lot of friends that never watch the sport and we're still great friends I've got a lot of friends that are hikers and outdoorsmen and I'm just not they like to live in tents and like to go hunting and whatnot and I'm just not that type of guy I'd rather be in a nice air-conditioned hotel room um, but we can still be friends right I have a lot of friends that are have different religious beliefs um, that are different from mine or even political views that are different from mine or even economic views, because a lot of us can, you know, 
um, kind of confuse political and sometimes economic beliefs, thinking they're one and the same. But no, I'm a conservative. I don't have a political um, uh, affinity towards anything else. Um, that's my economic belief, you know. Uh, anyways, but I have, it differs from a lot of my friends, and yet we can all be friends. But somehow when we apply it to a marriage, to a serious relationship, we believe that there's got to be some base level of compatibility. In fact, the higher the compatibility score, as the online dating profiles or dating apps would show, is the better your chances of matching. And hence, one can infer the better or the higher probability of you having a good relationship, or at least one that lasts. And yet, it doesn't work out in real life. That's the myth of compatibility, guys. And then the problem is somewhere along that time in marriage, I have people coming to me saying, you know, I just don't think I can be married to this person anymore. We're just not compatible. My realization is that when we're talking about compatibility, a lot of times they're confused compatibility and connection. So let's get rid of the compatibility issue and then we, we can talk about connection as I've talked about many, many times about how to build a connection. So what does it, compatibility exactly mean for you? If you believe in the compatibility myth, what are you looking to be compatible about? Think about that. For instance, do you think it's about personality type? I mean, there are lots of different ways we measure personality. Do you think maybe if you have the correct Myers-Briggs indicator type, which is a personality test, if you believe you're th the same thing on that anagram or complement on that anagram, or maybe you believe that some we're along that, you know, those MMPI frames or somewhere else that there's going to be some match. Or maybe you think about it in terms of interests, not so much personality, but more of interest. Maybe if we all like to play tennis or like to play golf or like to cook, or in my case, like to play soccer and watch soccer or whatever, maybe there's a compatibility about our interests in life. Or maybe you think about its desires. A lot of times this is really about Really, you know, sexual intimacy, lovemaking. And for others, maybe you think about compatibility, about having the same religious beliefs or political uh, beliefs. And what I realized is that if you both are attracted to each other in that way, you're going to figure it out either way. The interesting thing that I've noticed, uh, you know, even when you talk about politics, for instance, which has been very divisive, right? Um... I believe that most people really actually want the same thing, right? And we, we could talk about, and I talk to my daughters about this all the time, is, I mean, I think, I think everybody agrees that healthcare, everyone should have access to some sort of healthcare. It's the how and who pays for it, right? I think in terms of immigration, I think everybody believes that people have a right to seek out better opportunities for themselves and their families. It's a question of how is that done, right? I, I believe, you know, in, in terms of things like abortion, I think everybody believes that the woman has a right, you know, um, to choose what she does with her body. But at the same time, no one's in favor of, um, you know, having another potential human being um, be, be killed, uh, for lack of a better word. So I think, I think we all 
believe in those common premises. It's the how, right? So most people want to be successful and want everyone else around them also to be successful, right? Most people want people to be happy and want their friends and family and, and neighbors and community to be happy. How we get there is different though. Most of us want other people to be, again, healthy. Most of us want the rest of the world to kind of go in a sensible direction with peace and love and, and making sure that the climate is safe for everybody. We have just differences in how we get there. But when you boil it down, most of us have the same desires for the world, for us as humans, for our, 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 our countries and our, and our states and our counties and our communities. And of course, you tend to have those that are kind of in another realm, right? The, they're kind of the exception because they're more the extremist, right? And they're willing to take advantage of other people, a little more narcissistic or egocentric or maybe somewhat sociopathic. And those are the ones who don't want those similar things. What they're really trying to do is get themselves ahead at the expense of others, not hoping the best for everybody, but at the expense of other people. Um, but again, those are the outliers. Those are the few. Those are the exception, right? We have a bunch of friends who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, and they make great couples, not because they agree with the politics, because they find themselves interested and interesting to have dialogues about the politics. So in terms of compatibility, it's not, yet, you know, it's not there yet for them, but it works for them. And how about professions? Maybe you think, well, we need to have a professional closeness, um, and so both of us have to be doctors or lawyers, right? And yet I know people, some, some of them have PhDs, and the other person struggled to get through high school. Or if you look at it at another level, I've watched relationships fall apart where they are too similar in their professions. I've watched doctors who marry doctors only to find out their lifestyles are so rough on both of them in their relationship that it's hard to be in that relationship. So I don't believe that even profession has anything to do with it. What about hopes and dreams? Well, I think at the core level, we all need to be in touch with our hopes and dreams. But I don't think having the same hopes and dreams are necessary for that relationship to work. In fact, as I've noticed, what tends to happen is that people tend to cherry pick. So if they want somebody to be compatible with them, they'll find the thing upon which they agree, right? And the other ones that they disagree on just don't hold that much importance. In fact, that's one of the true pillars of a great relationship. They'll find the thing upon which they agree or enjoy the same things. They have the same pursuits. They have the same interests because they want to find it interesting. I find on the other end, when people want to claim incompatibility, they're much willing to look at the places where they disagree and get upset when somebody might point out that thing that they agree upon. Think about that. So you're kind of looking for the incompatibility for a reason. I remember how many times in recent months I've talked with people who said, we just have nothing in common. You know, I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day um, who's been 30 years in a marriage who told me he just basically has nothing in common with his wife anymore. And I asked him, what do you mean you have nothing in common? Now, you've been married for 30 years, correct? Yes, 30 years. You have 30 years of history together in common, good and bad. 
Yes, you have three children, correct? Yes, okay. You have in common three children that bond you together. You have in common property. You have in common a shared understanding, understanding of the family, of your property, of your relationship, your friends, your community. You have a shared understanding that tells me that you have a great deal in common, but you choose to look at the places where you are different because maybe you're going through a rough path right now or maybe because you're hurt and you've been hurt for a while and so you begin to look at the negative. It's kind of human nature. And what I realized is that the difference can be part of what's interesting in a relationship. And so that difference is not necessarily negative. It actually could be quite positive. It's not about the compatibility, but the places where you can kind of bring a spark to each other. Now, I did, I did say there was one exception. So let me go ahead and tell you what that one exception is. The one exception that I believe there has to be compatibility about is in the realm of values and morals. I think about this in my program, in, in, in the Fortified Spouse program, that compatibility trips us up a lot of the time for the wrong reasons. But there is a core place where, where when you get below the surface of what kind of food you like and what kind of interests you have in the world and what kind of hobbies you have, right? There's below that another level of shared understanding um, and it's our values and morals. The values and morals are those things we hold most tightly to us and we probably don't talk about much until they become a conflict point. So what do I mean about values and morals? Well, let's say that one person truly believes that it's okay to cheat on taxes or try to take advantage of other people in somewhat gray or even criminal ways and the other person doesn't think that's okay. You know, that's a moral difference. This is going to be a problem. Or maybe one person thinks that it would be okay to have multiple partners even multiple spouses, while well, the other person believes that the, you know, a marriage is about two people being in a monogamous relationship. Well, again, that's a conflict that can't be resolved because one, it's always going to break the values of the other. So that is really the exception, guys. And guess how many times that happens? Extremely rarely. Extremely rare. On a few occasions, I've had people come and talk with me and I've realized that we really are talking about a core different in values. And yet over and over, I hear this compatibility or incompatibility put out there. Relationships need a couple of things in order for them to really get the energy they need. The first is sameness. And this is the same thing we as individuals need. We need some things that are the same in our lives that we can just count on, we rely on. We all like to have a routine, and relationships need some level of routineness. And we also need some variety. Relationships need a little energy to come into them, and individuals need something that's bringing them a little variety to life. And so part of our balance in our own individual lives is to find both a place of routine that we know what to expect in a lot of ways, and also variety that there's something of interest that comes into our life, which gives it a a sense of spark. And the same is true with a relationship. If someone was 100% compatible, they had the exact same taste in music, in food, in activities, all activities they wanted to do, and they had the exact same match in politics, 
and you know religion and they have the exact same personality types and everything matches up they're a hundred percent match that has a risk a high degree of risk of boredom to it of sameness that dominates so much that there is no variety and what i've noticed is that when that's not the case there can't be too much variety because any person is going to find some routine and really two people can always negotiate to find routine in life. The trick is to bring in the variety. When my wife and I were doing you know, premarital counseling, we took a couple of tests and one of them was this test, the Myers-Briggs type indi indicator, which I mentioned earlier in this uh, episode, in this podcast, which really is a useful indicator of your personality type and how you tend to function in the world. She and I are very similar on that, and the person who was doing our premarital counseling said, you have to be cautious that you don't allow your relationship to get bored. We still see things differently enough that that, that hasn't been the case, and our interests tend to be kind of different. I relish the heat, for instance. I love the beach. I love the water. I love swimming. I love running. I love outdoor activities. I love scuba diving. Of course, I love athletics. My, my wife's not much into water, and she doesn't find much interest in running or trails in the woods or hiking. She likes lots of other pursuits, like, you know, she plays tennis, and she likes to go to the movies. And it's not that I don't like those things. It's just that, you know, I might take a run before I go see a movie. Um, I have a tendency towards very, very non-spicy food, and the tiniest spice makes my, you know, my mouth feel like it's on fire, whereas my wife loves spicy food. I tend to be very easily pleased with food, and my wife tends to be a little bit more picky. And she likes the more exotic uh, foods uh, that you would find in America from all other you know, international cuisines, whereas, you know, I could just have a pizza and a cheeseburger, right? And so we don't have the exact same test, taste in our food, and we do listen to some different music. So in a lot of areas, that might not, you know, that test that we took back then would say that you know would show us as being incompatible it's just that we do have differences of what we like so we experiment and try the other person's things out you know last year my wife did a little snorkeling with me and she did a little paddle boarding with me and I've gone and played tennis with her and I do like to play tennis just she plays four or five times a, a week right and I've also gone to a lot of these restaurants that I may not have gone to uh, by myself or with my friends. So it doesn't have to be about incompatibility. As long as our moral and value perspectives are similar, at the core, it's easy to learn from each other and grow. We create that place of routine in our lives and then we bring that variety in because of the differences. Now here's an interesting thing to ponder. No matter what the compatibility score, the personality type that any test would show, you know, two different people are going to look and have a different outlook of the world just by the fact that they have a different way of viewing the world. As I say, they have a different paradigm. They have a different perspective. And how they view the world really comes down to the experiences that they've been experiencing all their lives, you know, how they, you know, where they lived how they lived, what they were exposed to, what their upbringing looked like, whether they traveled, they didn't travel, um, what food, what interests their parents, teachers, friends, neighbors exposed them to as they grew up. Well, long before 
they became a we in a marriage. And so sometimes the problem is we believe in compatibility and then we're surprised by the difference that we have and it throws people off. If they believe in compatibility, they get lured into that. So I believe that there are kind of four things that help us to move outside of this belief of compatibility. The first thing is that we build room for the differences. Sometimes I've watched couples do battle over differences as if one is right and one is wrong. One believed it was right that Chinese food was the best food in the world, and the other, one, the other thought that it was, you know, they were dead wrong, and so they could find right and wrong in the smallest of differences. Very trivial. But sometimes all we need to do is step back and recognize that if we make room for the differences, they are only just that, differences. They are only different ways of viewing the world and understanding the world and the differences in our own perspective. So the first thing that couples can do is to make room for the differences between them. Just to make room, make a space for the fact that there is a, a difference. Accept that there is a difference. The second thing is to work on accepting that the other person is going to see the world differently and not falling into the trap of believing that something must have gone wrong because at one point you just saw things, you know, at one point you did see things alike. You never actually did because you never saw things exactly alike. You might have pretended to. That's one of my steps in this whole process of intimacy. The first one is pseudo-intimacy where you pretend that everything is just alike. It's a normal state at the beginning of a relationship, but pseudo-intimacy generally gives way pretty quickly to chaos when you realize that the other person doesn't seem to see intimacy the way you do. And the next step through this is acceptance to accept that you're not going to see the same thing, right? The third step is navigation. How you negotiate those pieces, those differences. You navigate the differences between you. Sometimes the problem is that one person feels the need to completely give up what they love, to completely give up their base enjoyment of life for the other person because they haven't navigated negotiated, you know, talked about how to make both fit, how to introduce each other to what's interesting, how to bring some spice into that by the variety that each person does. So navigating the difference is important, not changing them, not stopping the difference, but just navigating the difference. And the fourth one is appreciation when your wife or your spouse shows you something different to be appreciative instead of just making it as a wrong to appreciate that there's some variety there. Remember the two big things that are important in stabilizing a relationship. One is to have saneness, some pieces that you can rely on, and two is a variety. Allow the, you know, the places where you're compatible to create that sameness, that stability, some you can count on. And then allow the places where you might normally think of as incompatible as being the places of variety, of teaching each other and learning from each other. Don't buy into the, uh, you know, the compatibility myth. And don't buy into the myth that, you know, that what's causing the problem in your relationship is incompatibility. Don't buy into that compatibility myth and don't buy into the myth of incompatibility. It's not about that. That usually is the excuse when in reality the problem 
is that the connection has waned. And your focus of saving your relationship is really on understanding that you're not trying to change the compatibility, but you're trying to reconnect. And it's all about trying to reconnect and not about the compatibility or lack thereof. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the podcast, Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man. For further information, visit the Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.